0: Remember what you said, you return that I might live in my father's house.
1: He heard God pronouncing an eventual and full deliverance from sin by Jesus who would crush the head of Satan. Which by the way is the first prophetical announcement concerning Christ in all of the Bible. Genesis chapter three in verse 15. Genesis chapter three in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Adam and
0: Eve were formed from dust and given life by the breath of God. They were born into freedom with the choice to love their creator or disobey him. In the midst of the perfection of the garden, temptation and deception came in from a fallen angel named Lucifer. As Pastor Mike will point out in today's message, man went from purity and intimacy with God to defilement and separation from Him. But immediately after the fall, God offers us our first promise of a Savior who would crush the deceiver. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Dust and Glory.
1: She bears the child, Samuel, and then Hannah breaks off into this wonderful prayer that and, and worship that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel in chapter 2 in verse 8. She says there, He raises the poor from the dust. There again, you have that word. And lifts the needy from the ashy. So, dust. Our first example, suggesting it's symbolic for little worth, And humble origins. Now, let me give you another suggestion. Dust is also used as a symbol of the total defeat of one's enemies. And I would serve up a cross-reference from the book of Psalms in the 18th chapter in verses 40 through 42. And this is David. David wrote this particular song, Psalm, Song, the same thing. And uh, it was written out of his own experience of God delivering him from a variety of different enemies, but particularly Saul, who sought to take his life. Remember, he was moved with envy and jealousy, and and he knew that God had repented of actually anointing him and placing him as king over Israel, and he had chosen David in his place. And that began this quest to actually kill uh, David. But time and time again, God had delivered David. So it was out of those experiences that David wrote this particular psalm. And in the 18th psalm, in verses 40 through 42, you have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I, that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust, there you have it, before the wind, and I cast them out like dirt in the streets. So, once again, dust is used as a symbol of the total defeat of one's enemies. We're going through the Bible. I'm giving you all of the examples, all of the different ways that this word dust is used. But then also, dust is used and is a symbol of mourning. And I would refer you to the book of Joshua in chapter six, uh, in chapter seven, rather, in verse six. And uh, Joshua has already led the children of Israel over into the land of promise and the land of Canaan. And the first city of conquest was the city of Jericho. And you know how that went. They circled the city, they cried out, the walls fell down, and, and Israel that day had a great victory. God had given them a great victory under the auspices of the great, their great general, who I believe was none other than uh, Jesus Christ himself, a Theophanes, an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And now, flushed with victory, they go on to the second city of conquest there in the land of Canaan, which was the city of AI. Very good. Okay, a little pop quiz. You're with me. Okay? But you know what? Joshua had failed to pray about that, right? They were flushed with victory. They thought they were invincible, that they no longer needed the help of God. And so, rather than dispatching the full armies of Israel, they only sent out a portion of the armies of Israel. And what did they find? They found that they were defeated. They came back dragging their tails behind them, right? And so, in response to that, and many that day were actually killed in that battle there in the city of Ai. And so, defeated, we are told in Joshua in chapter 7 and verse 6 that they sprinkled dust upon their heads. And by the way, the reason why they lost that particular battle was because of a fellow whose name was Achan, who took of the accursed stuff, the things that were that were won in the battle in the city of Jericho, and he, and he hid them in his tent, remember? So he disobeyed the Lord because all of those things were to be put into God's treasury and to be used for his glory. Later on, you know, uh, in the building of the... Uh, The tabernacle and the temple, you know, uh, rather the temple and uh, the things of God. And uh, remember, Achan took some of those things for himself. And that was one of the reasons why Israel was defeated that particular day. But anyway, dust is a sign of mourning. So when the armies came back, Joshua, in anguish because of the defeat, because of the news that many of his fellow Israelites had died in that battle, took dust, and sprinkled it upon their heads, which was a sign of mourning. Now, also, dust is used to depict man in his misery. The word dust in the book of Job, for example, is used no less than 22 times. But let me cite one particular text of Scripture for you. In the book of Job in chapter 42, in verses 5 and 6, there Job says, I despise myself, and repent in dust and ashes. So again, it represents, dust that is, represents man in his misery. Okay, so I've gone a long way, but you get the picture, right? the, The picture that Moses is painting here for us. I believe Moses is the writer of the book of Genesis. The littleness of man and his humble origins. But there's something else here that I want to draw your attention to as it relates to dust. Dust is the ultimate symbol of frustration. And I believe that Satan, the devil himself, is a classical example of this. Now, uh, later on in one of our future studies, we're going to talk about how that he uh, enticed Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll get to that portion of scripture uh, over the next couple of uh, weeks, But the result of that was God had cursed the serpent, who was actually a devil, who was actually the uh, devil. And in Genesis in chapter 3 and verse 14, which was a part of that curse, he said, dust in the mouth, which was a figure of defeat and humiliation. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust or dirt all the days of your life. So then, in this case, uh, dust is used as a figure of defeat and humiliation. You know, something else that I want to draw your attention to as it relates to Satan and the devil you know, before the devil's fall, he was an extremely beautiful, powerful, and intelligent creation. He was highly favored by God. But the problem was was that he was lifted up in pride. In Isaiah in chapter 14 in verses 13 through 15, we're given a little glimpse of what had taken place before God even created the physical universe. He says, for you, that is Lucifer, Satan, the devil, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to the very pit of hell, Sheol in the Hebrew, to the lowest depths of the pit. And so we know how this whole thing played out. The devil rebelled, God brought him down, and instead of finding himself replacing God, he became an antagonistic towards God. He became an outcast. He became a fugitive. And he had his first taste of dust. His first taste of dust. So, after successfully tempting Adam and Eve to rebel against their creator, expecting God to judge the first man and woman, and that was his intention, right? To get them to disobey God. There was only one prohibition in the garden. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And so the devil thought that he was gonna, God was going to come into the garden and that he was going to judge Adam and Eve, that it would be lights out. For Adam and Eve, but he found rather in its place God coming graciously into the garden to clothe them with skins taken from the first animal sacrifice, and he heard God pronouncing an eventual and full deliverance from sin by Jesus who would crush the head of Satan, which by the way is the first prophetical announcement concerning Christ in all of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Eat dirt, Satan. Basically, that's what that comes down to. That's what God was referring to here. But, his most bitter... Now, I'm going a long way to, to share this. You saying, why am I spending so much time talking about Satan? Why am I talking so much about the devil? Well, hang in there. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But his most bitter mouthful of dust, that is the devil, was at the cross when he thought he had engineered the death of God. But rather, he was only being used as an instrument in furthering God's plan of redemption. God said you will eat dust all the days of your life. And gang, guess what? He will always eat it. And so it is for Satan and for all who think that they can succeed in rebelling against God. Should I say that again? Because that's why I've gone a long way to make this point. So it is for Satan, eating dust, eating dirt, and also for those who think that they can also succeed in rebelling against God. Oh, man, that's a bad occupation to participate in, folks. And then lastly, the last symbolic picture, if if I can, the paint concerning dust or share, pass along to you. Dust is a symbol of death, which for unbelievers is the ultimate frustration. Notice in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. This was a part of the curse. This is the, the result of their being disobedient. It was never God's intention, original intention, for a man to even die. Uh, can you imagine that, right? And, uh, but nevertheless, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. In other words, we're going to have to labor for our bread, for the things that we are able to put on our table to eat. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. To you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Okay, let me give you another cross reference for this in Job chapter seven and verse twenty-one. Job in his misery, you know, with all of the events that had taken place, and, and you know, upon uh, Job, the loss of all of his family members, the the loss of all of his possessions the loss of his health, crying out in his misery. In Job chapter 7 and verse 21, he says, I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. Folks, dust. So lastly, dust is a symbol of death. Okay, so where have I taken you from its beginning to the end as it relates to the symbol of dust? Well, from littleness to frustration to death. Folks, it's a picture of the unbeliever. These are the things that the unbeliever only have to look forward to. Let me say it again. From littleness to frustration to death. That's what it is. That's basically the experience of the unbeliever. Now, remember, we as believers are not only dust. And this is the glory part of this message. We are spirit. Let's go back to our text, because notice... It says, and into his nostrils were breathed the breath of life. So this is the glory part of man. Remember, we're seeking to answer these questions. What, What is man? Why are we here? What's life all about, right? So this is the glory part of man. Now, to understand this, we need to understand the connection between God's spirit and the word for breath. Notice, go back to verse 7. What does it say there? And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, a little bit of trivia. In nearly all of the ancient languages, that would include Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, the word for spirit and breath are one and the same. They're identical. In the Latin, it's the word spiritus. In the Greek, it's the Greek word pneuma, In the Hebrew word, it's the Hebrew word ruach. And so the idea here is that man was specially created by God's breathing some of his own breath in him. Now, what's the picture that's being painted here for us? Well, in this whole thing, the way it's being played out here, God breathing into man suggests that we have a very special relationship to God by virtue of the divine spirit. Think about that. Above all of what God had created, and we've gone through uh, the various days of creation prior to getting to our text, above all of what God had created, you know, we are privileged beyond everything else that God had created, above all of God's creation. And therefore, we also have this responsibility What kind of a responsibility? To excel in love and obedience to our Creator for all that He's done for us, for all that we are. But we've fallen, and therein lies the problem. We failed to reflect the image given to us from God, which was, remember, His image. We were created in the image of God. We've already addressed that announcement. We've died spiritually. Thus, we lack spiritual truth. We are void of understanding our true identity. Remember, when the first man and woman were created, they didn't have any problem with who they were or their identity. They realized initially that they were created and formed by God to know him, to walk with him, to have fellowship and communion with him. It wasn't a question in his mind as it is with so many today. You know, people don't understand that. that We've lost our identity through sin. You see, that's the problem. Now, although man in this state, remember the Bible tells us the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. And I I mention that because in a moment I'll, I'll offer you the solution to that problem. But although man in this state that I've just described because of sin, cannot seek after God. Here's the good news. God can seek after him. Not only can he seek after him, but he can recreate him. And in fact, we're all a testimony to this truth, aren't we? Each and every one of us. If you're here this morning and you've made a decision for Christ. How does that happen? Well, it happens the Genesis way. What's the Genesis way? God breathes his spirit into us. In John's Gospel in chapter 3, here's the solution and the answer to this problem, the sin problem. In John 3, verses 5 through 7, this is a discussion that he's having with a Pharisee whose name was Nicodemus. And Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit." Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So God gives new life through His Spirit. Go back to verse 7 for a moment. Notice the phrase, living being. It can literally be translated, living soul. And that's exactly what God has done for you and for me through His Son, Jesus Christ, and accepting Him as your personal Lord and Savior. You see, Upon making that decision, man then is not only alive, but he knows why he's alive. That which we've lost, our identity through sin, is now gained through the person of Jesus Christ. So man is not only alive, he therefore knows why he is alive. He knows where that life comes from. God had breathed life into him. We know that. That's why we're here, right? To have fellowship and communion with God, to learn of him, to draw closer to him. We know why we are alive. We know where life comes from. And so dust or glory? Frustration or fulfillment? You got to choose. I mean, it, it, God just puts this whole thing out here. Let me say it again. Dust or glory. You have to choose. Frustration or fulfillment. But think What's at stake here? You have to choose, but you make that choice in Christ. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, in verse 45, it says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, through which sin entered into the world, right, became a living being. Now, he's just making a statement here. Yeah, he was a living being. God breathed into him. We've already established that. That's what the, the narrative tells us. That's what the Bible tells us. But the last Adam, who's the last Adam? Jesus, right, you got it. Became a life-giving spirit. Do you see the contrast between the the two? Jesus was made for us a quickening spirit or a life-giver. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. So listen, while you have the opportunity, come to Jesus. Here's what's at stake. Frustration or fulfillment? Dust or glory? God in His mercy has brought you here this morning. Think about that. And given you this opportunity to come to Jesus, who is able to give and provide for you eternal life. And this glory that we've been speaking of, you can find that acceptance in Him. It's just simply by inviting Him to come. Be the Lord and Savior of your life. And then He'll breathe this new life into you. You'll be born again of the Spirit of God.
0: In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, HarvestNYC.org. That's HarvestNYC.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.